let's go ahead and let's open in a word of prayer, and then we'll spend a little bit of time in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Father, we just thank you so very much for your word. We thank you that you have, uh, you have given it to us, that you've preserved it for us so that we can look at it and we can learn from it. And the things that we glean from its pages, uh, we can apply to our life. And that even though this was written thousands of years ago, it is still hyper applicable for us right now. So we just ask that as we spend time in your word, uh, that your spirit would be leading us, guiding us, pointing us to to Jesus, and uh, our focus would be on him. And uh, Father, that you would expose hidden sins and and help us repent of those sins so that we may uh, live a life of wisdom that is like your son, Jesus. We are so very thankful for him and you sending him to die on the cross for our sins and it's in his name that we say amen i don't know how often you walk into a kindergartner's classroom but every single one i've ever walked into had these i don't know posters uh like be nice don't hit somebody or don't stick that in your mouth I feel like a kindergarten teacher, half of her lesson plan is, get that out of your mouth. Uh, you're not supposed to eat glue. Uh, I feel like that's it. Uh, you know, or, or, or hand, you must raise your hand before, you know, all these little posters all over the room that are telling children how they're, how they're supposed to act, right? And there's multiple of these posters in the room. So as you walk in, as the student sees those posters reminded of the proper etiquette, the proper way that they're supposed to respond to the teacher and to others. And so there's this, there's these signs that are telling you, be polite, be respectful. I even remember in high school, throughout the entire hallway, there were these signs of, uh, don't bully people, don't pick on people, be respectful, right? All these signs of behavior, of etiquette, of politeness, of treating people right. I feel like our text this morning is a lot like those signs, right, that you see at high school on how you're supposed to act, the proper etiquette, the the way to be polite. Remember, in this section of the book of Proverbs, we are assuming the position of a student. So the first half of the book, the first line share of the book, we are children, We come to God like children. We don't know. We need to be taught. God is our father. He's the one who knows. We don't know. We need to come with that sense of, you need to teach me like a father teaches a child. That's that's how I'm approaching wisdom, okay? I'm bringing nothing. You, You have to teach a lot. We're now moving to this image of, okay, now we've kind of learned some of those basic fatherly teachings. We're now entering a classroom where there's other teachers, other classes. And in this section, as you remember, there was 30 sayings. And we're going through each one of these sayings, okay? So remember last week we did the first five. Today we're going to do four more by God's grace. So... In Proverbs 23, verses 1 through 9, we're going to see these four sayings, right? So saying number 6 is found in verses 1 through 3, 
and we're going to learn to be cautiously polite. Cautiously polite. Then in verses 4 through 5, that's saying number 7, the little poster that would be in the class would be, be content. Be content. Then in verses 6 through 8, the sign would read, don't hang out with selfish people. Don't eat with a selfish person. Right? And then verse 9 would be, don't waste your breath. Don't waste your breath. So these are these sayings, these four sayings out of 30. So let's look at saying number 6, found in verses 1 through 3. And notice, notice our, what, what our teacher is teach, saying to us. He says, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Now, every time I've ever heard anyone talk about this verse, this was always the Christian equivalent to uh, the diet pill. It was always given in the sense of stop eating fatty. That was the way it's always been given in the context. And I will admit, there is an aspect to not be a glutton, to not overindulge. But as you can see from this, the, that simple reading of that verse, there's obviously something more going on than just, hey, don't overindulge at a party. There's something a little bit more serious. So just notice the setting here. In verse 1, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, how often does that happen? So this is obviously a very, very unique experience, right? This is most likely a party, most likely where a ruler is inviting uh, people to this, right? It's a banquet. You're being invited to a royal banquet. This is a unique situation, okay? And notice what the, the actual command is here. The actual command is found in verse 1. Observe carefully what's set before you. So you're, you get invited to a banquet. Whatever you think about being invited to a banquet, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? What's going on? doesn't matter. When you get there, notice, observe what is in front of you. This is a, we could say this is probably a, a way of saying, be polite. Do the proper etiquette. Make sure that you're doing the things the way you're supposed to. Now, I know that this seems a little strange coming from the book of Proverbs where we're talking about serious wisdom and where we're talking about leading a life of discernment that's pleasing to the Lord. And here now is a table manners etiquette verse. And you would say, how does that even fit in with the fear of the Lord? Why, what is the connection between fearing the Lord and table manners, right? I mean, I mean what, why, why does that matter? The first thing that I would say is Paul talks about table manners. Go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As Paul is thinking to this church and as he's, he's describing love, no doubt in his mind as he's describing love, he's thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's thinking of what the Spirit 
is doing in the life of the believer. He's thinking about what, what, what does that love look like lived out. And just, just notice in verse 4 of this, he says, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. Notice verse 5. Or rude. You see that? Or rude. It means it acts appropriately. This is part of love. This is part of Christ-like love. It demonstrates a sense of humility. When we're polite, it's a sense of humility. It's a sense of, I'm, I'm, I love you enough to follow your rules, right? I, if I come over to your house and you say, this shoe's off, I should love you enough to say, okay, I'm not going to wear my shoes. That, that's the house rules, right? I respect you enough, and I know that you have certain reasons for doing what you're doing. And even if I don't understand those reasons, it doesn't matter. You're not asking me to violate scripture. I'm going to oblige myself and, and be a, a good house guest, right? That, that, that's the sense. The sense is because I love you, and, and, I, and I realize that there's reasons why you have certain rules inside of your house. And so I'm, I'm going to do that for you because I love you. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I don't want anything in my behavior or the way that I act to be offensive to you, uh, offensive to the, to, to the sense, to the point that it closes off relationships, that I can no longer edify you and we no longer have this ongoing relationship. And, and if that just simply means I take off my shoes to not offend you, yeah, we as believers should go, okay, I'll never wear shoes again, right? Like, I mean, that, that's the point. The point is, I, why would I ever want to destroy a relationship over something so silly? So here in, in Proverbs 23, there seems to be something a little bit more than just be polite, though I think there is this sense of being polite. There is this sense of observing what's before you because the next part of the verse, notice what the next part of the verse is. It says, and put a knife to your throat. So, so look at what's in front of you. And put a knife to your throat. Now, this is kind of humorous because if you do that, you have a problem. If you pick up a knife and go, everybody would look at you and go, that guy's a weirdo. (laughs) Right? The knife is for the food. The knife is not for your neck. Why would you put a knife to your own neck? It's to, every time you see an image of a knife to a neck, it's someone trying to force someone by force to do something. Right? If I put a knife to your neck, I want you to do something. And, 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 I'm, and I'm using it as a way to say, if you don't, this knife will slit your throat. It's a life and death situation where you're persuading someone to do something. So it's a, it's a way of you persuading yourself. You're saying, this is a serious situation. You're in front of a ruler. There is a meal set in front of you. You put a knife to your throat realizing this is serious. This is a serious thing. And notice what, notice what he is, he's saying. He's saying, if you are given to appetite. Basically, it's this. If you are given to your impulses, if your stomach is your, is your God, if your lust is your God, you, you better be really careful because you could get yourself into some serious, serious trouble. That's what he's saying. He's saying, in this setting, be very careful. Observe carefully know the seriousness of this especially if you have no self-control now as believers we already know that we shouldn't be given to lusts we we should be able to have self-control and by the spirit we can conquer that and we can have self-control right 
We, we can do this by the Spirit. We know that a characteristic of those who are not believers is, is a statement that Paul uses in Philippians 3, that their stomach is their God. We as believers should not be described as our God is our appetite. So whether this is food or whether this is any other thing that a person could crave, we should not have that thing as our God, right? It would be wrong to say that person is driven by their belly. Their belly is their God, or their lustful attitude is their God, or their greedy attitude is their God, right? That is not becoming of a believer. We are to walk in the power of the Spirit and have self-control, okay? So looking at this, it's Hey, you better control yourself. And then notice the next verse, verse 3. And do not desire his delicacies. This is the word desire, probably better translated covet. Don't covet what the guy has. So notice the advice. Look down at your plate. Don't be looking at everybody else's food. Don't be looking at the food of the ruler. Look at your own plate. Control yourself. Eat what's before you. Don't be looking at what he's got or what he's got. Of course the ruler's going to have better food. And don't covet that food. Why? Here, here's, the, here, here's the caution. For they are deceptive food. Now what does that mean? They're deceptive food. There's a couple ways that people have taken this. I would, I would say it's likely... When you get invited to a ruler's banquet, it's not for you. You're not there because of you. You're there for the ruler. You need to know that. The reason you don't overindulge in front of the ruler is because this is actually for him. Now, that food that he presents, he's not giving it to you because he just absolutely loves you and needs you. He's giving it to you because... He has an ulterior motive. Now, whether that motive is good or bad, hey, that might depend on the ruler. The advice for us is be careful, be polite, make sure you don't do anything to upset the ruler. Because how do we not know that the ruler isn't putting food in front of you to see? How does this guy respond in a situation like this? And can I trust them for other things? Can I trust them for another job that, that, that I know that I can trust them, that they're not going to be greedy and steal from me? Or, I guess this happens too, I've had this happen to me with bosses where they take me out to lunch, they buy lunch, and as we're walking out, they say, hey, I just bought you food, you ate my food, I'm going to need something back, right? It's a trick, it's a trap. So, so the sense is be cautious, be polite, be cautious. You don't, you don't aid yourself by overindulging. You, you, don't, you don't help yourself by just going, look at me, I'm popular. I get invited to a banquet of a ruler. He must really like me. The sense is keep your wits about you. Things are not always as they appear. This is an important lesson. A really important lesson for us as believers. It's important for us to remember that 
my allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ and following him. My allegiance is to the gospel. My allegiance is to walking by the spirit. I don't want to ever put myself in a situation where I'm controlled by some substance or some other person. I, I don't want to do something that might hurt my reputation or, or hurt those that I love because I really like bacon-wrapped shrimp. Now, some of you might go, well, pastor, that is actually talking about gluttony, and obviously you might struggle with that, Caleb. So you're just avoiding the interpretation. Just, to, just so that I erase this from your mind, Gluttony is bad. Any time that we are gluttons, that is a sinful thing that needs to be repented of. It is evil. It is wrong. Even if the pastor does it, it is still wrong. And we need to repent of it. I'm just not 100% convinced that this is a diet pill verse. I think this is more of politeness, of being careful, being cautious, realizing that people aren't always what they appear to be. And wisdom would say, don't overindulge, don't overcommit, don't put yourself into a trap. Saying number six. Right. So let's go to the next saying, saying number seven. Notice what it says. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings and flies like an eagle towards heaven. This is basically saying you need to be content, right? So this phrase, do not toil, it literally means don't be a slave. Don't slavishly work. We could put in the word, don't be a workaholic. You know what that is, right? That's somebody who compulsively works, 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 works overworks, put so much work on themselves that they hurt their relationships with others, they hurt their relationship with the Lord. Everything, everything submits to the work, and I just do the work. Obviously, we're not against, and Solomon's not against hard work. It's a specific type of work that Solomon is against. And notice what that work is. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Uh, it's work for material. It's a materialism. It's a materialism type of mindset, right? I, I'm going to work as hard as I can till I get all the stuff that I want. And, and that's, that's the type of working. The wealth is not the problem. It's the wanting the wealth that's the problem. It's the way that you go about to get the wealth sometimes that is the problem. Being wealthy is not the issue. Working hard is not the issue. Being smart with your money here is not the issue. The issue is a person is so materialistic and so focused on riches and affluence and all these nice things that that is all that they do. That is all that is on their mind. They are a slave to the material things. They are greedy. That's what it is. They're greedy. And notice, notice the, the, the warning here. Be discerning enough. Have wisdom enough to know when to desist or when to stop. No, you, you have to be able to have the wisdom to go, do I have enough wealth? I do. 
I need to stop. There's other things to work for. I need to stop. Now, that's a really tough question to ask because when is enough, right? How, how, do we, how do we know when that point is? I think, one, when you ask the question, do I have enough, you might have already reached that point and have already on the other side of the hill. Because I guarantee if you don't have enough, you're not asking the question, do I have enough? If you don't have anything, you're normally saying, where am I going to get bread and a shirt? If you go, I have 20 shirts, you think that's enough? Yes. You ask the question. But I think beyond that, I think beyond that, the discernment to know when is enough, to me, the sense of contentment is I first find contentment in who I am in Christ. Right? That's where contentment has to start. It has to start with Christ. It has to start with the gospel. I understand that I'm a sinner, and it's by God's grace that I'm saved. He came and he died on the cross for my sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. I placed my faith in him, and it's by his grace that I'm saved. I have to start there, and that's where contentment starts. I have Jesus. It has to start with those, those verses that say, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. So the, the, Jesus would say, I, I have to understand God's will, God's program, his plan. I, I have to understand that. I, I have to adhere to God's, what God wants. And then that second part, and all these things will be added. I, I think one other question we could ask is, as I'm working, am I working Trusting God in the midst of this job? Because anything that's done without faith is a sin. And do I trust Jesus enough that if I pursue his kingdom and his righteousness, do I believe him enough to say, and he will provide? He will provide. So my focus is his stuff, and I'm trusting him enough to say, he will. I'm going to do this, and he says he'll provide. I trust that. And even if he doesn't provide the way that I think he should provide, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to pursue those things. I think that's where contentment starts, right? In, in knowing the gospel, finding my sufficiency in Jesus, knowing what God wants us to do, and saying, I'm going to follow the Lord regardless, right? Sometimes it's easy for us to work really hard because we're, we're scared of the future and say, oh, I've got to get a lot of money because of some of the stuff that's going to happen in the future, and, and sometimes that's really smart. Sometimes that is not an act of faith, but an act of fear. And I'm not trusting God. I'm trusting myself that I can provide for myself because of my hard work. That is not a good position for a believer. We are called believers. We walk by faith. Now, notice what he then says next uh, in the next verse. Verse 5, he says, for when your eyes light on it, it's gone. Meaning, when, when your eyes look at it, it's gone. We, we could say this. We could say it's gone in the split second. In the blink of an eye, it's gone. That, that, that we could say that it's gone in the blink of an eye. Th- this is another reason of why we shouldn't strive for wealth. Why? Because you can't keep it. It's gone. The moment you try to attain wealth... And, and you think you've reached it, then you go, well, I need something else, right? I mean, wh- why is it that rich people need a yacht, and then the other guy gets a bigger yacht, and the other guy then gets, says, well, now I need a bigger yacht, and the other guy goes, well, now I need a bigger yacht, and the other guy goes, well, now I need a bigger yacht, to the point where you just go, 
You got to stop, right? You have a yacht. Stop. You don't need the biggest yacht in the world for just you. That's the point. Once you see it, once you attain it, it's gone. There's now this new, well, I'm not really wealthy until I'm that wealthy. Well, I'm not really wealthy until I'm that wealthy, right? It's gone. But notice how, how, notice how it escapes you. For suddenly it sprouts wings and flies like an eagle towards heaven. The, the moment you think you've reached it, it grows wings and it flies away to a place that you can't touch it. So, so why would you spend all of your time going after something that is so temporal and is impossible to catch? Why would you spend your time toiling with this? There's only one thing in this world that's immutable, that does not change. That's the Lord. Pursue that. Everything else will change, even within our lifetime. How the value of a dollar, how much has that changed? You can't even count on that. That will change. You know what doesn't? The Lord, his word. Those things don't change. Pursue those things that don't change. The sense is be content. Say, I have enough. I have enough. Paul, Paul tells Timothy in, in, in the epistle in Timothy, if you have clothing and you have food and you have shelter, that is all that one needs. Everything else on top of that is gravy, right? That's really all we need. So, so there needs to be the sense of contentment. Be content with what you have. Know when enough is enough. And have that contentment enough to say, I don't need, I don't need that. Now, in my Bible, there is one uh, correction. It does say, unless it's talking about guitars, uh, then you can get another one. Right, Krista? No, I'm joking. Uh, even, even with guitars, uh, that's the same thing, right? We, we, we should know when enough is enough. Now, let's go then to the next saying. The next saying is also very difficult because of some of the, some of the wording here. So notice in verse 6, it says, Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. This is just a full out, don't do it. Just don't do it. Not a good idea. And, and the, the sense I get is don't associate with a selfish person, right? That's the idea you get. The breaking of bread has the association of close alliance. So, so, so don't ally yourself. Don't, 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 don't have this alliance with a, with, a, with a selfish person. The word here for stingy is a man who, who hoards, right? He hoards lots of stuff. So, so be careful of hoarders. Be careful of misers, right? Be careful of those type of people who are selfish and greedy and they want to keep everything for themselves. Be careful. Do not associate with those types of people. Paul tells the Corinthians, by the way, the same thing. Don't associate with the greedy. He says, some of, some of you used to be this. Some of us, before we knew Jesus, were incredibly greedy. Some of us may still even be greedy. Don't associate with a greedy person. Now, notice what he says. He says, and do not desire his delicacies. Same thing as said in verse 3, right? The same type of thing. Tasty, tasty food, right? His tasty, tasty bread, right? Don't, don't do it. Don't associate don't, don't covet his stuff. Don't covet his bread. And it says in verse 7, For he is like one who inwardly calculating. Who's inwardly calculating. And, but, but notice, he says, Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. 
So why should you not associate with a selfish one? Just on a simple practical matter for, for self-preservation, he doesn't care about you. He cares about himself. He's already defined as being stingy. Even if he invites you over and says, eat as much as you want, inwardly, he's calculating. Now, this word for calculating, what does this mean? It means two things. It means, one, to count the cost. Have you ever met somebody who did that? Everything had a price tag to it. You see this pair of shoes? These were dollars. Yeah, I spent the amount of dollars on this. dollars on this. And how much dollars on this? And dollars on this. And you eventually just go, are you just telling me how much everything costs? That's weird. Why are you doing that? That's a really weird brag. I don't care how much stuff costs, right? People do that. So when they're handing you food, they're not going, oh, great, they're really going to enjoy this. They're sitting there going, well, you know how much that costs me to feed these people? They're thinking about themselves. The other sense of calculating is they have bad desires, right? They have a bad design, really bad design, right? So he's sitting there inwardly calculating. Outwardly, he says, eat and drink, but you know he's not with you. He's not with you. He's against you. Uh, he doesn't care about you. He cares about himself. And then notice the result of such a wonderful dinner party with such a selfish person. It says, you will vomit up your morsels that you've eaten. You don't need a lot of explanation of what that means. I think we all know what that would look like. So the question is, why would, the, why would you vomit? Why, why would you do this in this situation? Some have suggested it's because the guy is so cheap and the guy is so selfish that he gives you bad, spoiled food because he doesn't care. So he gets you sick. Some people say you sit there for the party and you realize, oh, this guy doesn't care about me even though he says he cares about me and he's giving me all this food. And so the, the relationship is spoiled. You actually get a, I actually get a different sense. You get the sense of, let's say I go and I associate with a selfish person. And let's say that I begin to covet all of the stuff of a selfish person. So they're, everything they're doing is for themselves. Everything I'm doing is for myself. Eventually what happens, that entire thing begins to spoil really bad, right? That, that gets real bad real quick. When you have selfish people doing selfish things with selfish motivations, and so it just, it clashes. And so what's the result? The result is, this, this makes me sick. The whole situation makes me sick. The, the sense is, don't be greedy. Be content. Don't be selfish. Don't associate with such a person. Because it, it only ends in ruin. It only ends in sickness. And, and then notice what he says next. And he says, and waste your pleasant words. Meaning, there, there at one time was really nice conversation. But because of the selfishness that's brought in by both parties, it just is a sick, you just are sick at the relationship. Everything that was said is spoiled. You wasted all of your breath. You, you really didn't get nursed by the food that you ate, right? The, the whole thing just makes you sick. We as believers need to be careful who we associate with and why we associate with people. I, a couple years ago, I was involved in a podcast, and uh, 
we were starting to interview people, pretty, some well-known guys within our camp, and was getting to, to meet some really, really famous, really nice guys. And I remember we had podcast meetings where we were trying to figure out who we were going to have on next. And one of, the, one of the things that we calculated was, well, let's ask this guy because he's going to bring in listeners. And let's ask this guy because he's going to bring in listeners. Let's not ask this guy because nobody knows who he is. He's not going to bring in listeners. And so what ended up happening was we started to evaluate people on how much clout they had and how many people would listen to us if we talked to such and such a person. That's pretty close, right, to this thing here. The only reason I'm in the relationship is to get something from you. As believers, our love should not be that. That is wrong. That's sinful. I should love you for you, not because of what you can give me in return. I should be polite to you, not because of what you give me, what I can get from you. We, we, are, not, we are not looking at each other as opportunities for our own advancement. If you're here for your own advancement, you're wrong. If you're here because you think you're getting something from other people, you're wrong. That's not, that's not how we love. We don't love people that way. We love them like Christ loved. And how did Christ love? He gave himself graciously on the cross. And we, how do we receive Christ? By faith. How are we saved? By his grace. He lavishes upon us all these good things on the basis of himself, not on the basis of our merit. That is how believers love each other. I love you for you. I, I'm willing to, to give to you, to edify you, whether you turn around and do the same thing to me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you, don't, if you don't spend time edifying me. As long as I get to edify you, that's what I'm here for. That's Christ-like love. That, that's the sense you get. Now, there's one more. Verse 9. Quickly go. Uh, this is pretty self-explanatory. Verse 9, it says, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool. Literally, it's don't speak into the ear. You get the sense of cupping your, telling a secret like this right, in somebody's ear, go right to their ear. Sense is to, like, give a lecture. That's the idea. Don't, don't give a lecture. Don't try to teach a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your word. The fool doesn't care. He hates God's word. He's not going to listen to God's word. So here the advice is don't waste your breath. If somebody's a fool and they're belligerent and they don't care, you pray for them, you love them, but sometimes... It's better not to say a thing. You don't have to rebuke somebody. If they're not going to learn, if they don't want the help, all right, then maybe I go to somewhere where they do want the help, right? Now, Jesus had this principle as well. He told the disciples, don't throw pearls before swine. The apostle Paul in the book of Acts did this numerous times where he was in a town, was preaching the gospel. When the persecution started getting really hot, he said, you know what? You've rejected the gospel. I'm now going to someone else that will accept the gospel. The sense is he didn't sit there try to fight with them, duke it out. He said, all right, you heard the message. You reject it very belligerently. You don't care. You're not here to listen. I'm not going to waste my breath. I'm not going to waste my time. It's a waste of time. It's not wise. It's not a discerning use of my time. I only have one life to live. Each second matters, and I'm not going to waste it on somebody that's not going to listen. It doesn't mean that you don't love them. It doesn't mean that you don't pray for them. It doesn't mean that you close them off forever and never, never talk to them again. There are plenty of people 
that when you talk to them, they'll be belligerent, you pray for them, and years later they'll come back and they might be ready to talk and they're no longer a fool. So you should be ready for that. In fact, friends, I think as a church, in this culture, in this climate, there's a lot of things going on in this town that are very sinful, where people are making really bad decisions with their bodies and and the way that they describe themselves. Try talking to them, their ears are closed. Someday, they will realize that lifestyle will not, you can't sustain a lifestyle like that. We should not automatically always close them off from saying, well, I talked to him once, I'm never going to talk to him again. Maybe sometime down the road, we will have an opportunity to talk when they come to their, when, when the Lord has dealt with their heart and opened their heart to hear the message. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're praying for. But until that time happens, why waste my time? I'm going to go to people who are going to listen, who are really curious. That's the sense. That's wisdom. That's discernment. Knowing that as you're talking with people. Knowing that time of, of, of okay, I've spent enough time. They're not really listening. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to love them. The door's always open, but I'm going to go for someone else. I'm going to talk to someone else who's going to listen. These are those posters, right? Those posters that are up on the wall of how to be polite. Right? I remember uh, one time I was in... Uh, I forget the exact situation, but the teacher said to me, Caleb, stop being weird. Best advice I ever got. Stop being weird, right? Because being weird is just acting the way you're not supposed to act in such a way that everybody goes, looks at you suspiciously. And in a sense, the advice of this text, I could easily say, be warned and don't act weird, right? Be polite, but be cautious. Don't be weird, right? Be content, work hard, be smart with your money. But don't, be, don't get weird about it. Like, don't, don't all of a sudden just, I'm all in for money, how much money I can get. That's weird. Don't associate with the wrong people, right? Don't get weird and start getting weird friends who are going to pull you away from the Lord. Don't get weird. Use wisdom. Don't, don't sit there and waste your time on, on, on people that are not going to listen. Pray for them, love them, but there comes a time where... Don't talk to a fool. Don't throw your pearls before a swine. Don't be weird. That would be my advice. Stop being weird. (laughs) Be wise. You get what I'm saying. May the Lord give us both the will and the ability to do all that we heard today. Let's go ahead. Let's pray. Father, we are so very thankful for your word. We're so very thankful for the things that you have recorded for us. And we just ask that as we uh, have the rest of this day, that we would honor and glorify you, that we would uh, bring you glory, and that we would uh, seek to honor Christ through our lives, and that uh, we would act in a way that's wise, discerning, and uh, that we would uh, lead a life that looks like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for everything you've given us in your son's name. Amen.